are created equal. Welcome to the first ever My Movies Better Political Rumble. Your candidates are the film's milk. This came in the mail today. You get the first go at the minute you stand the microphone. Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Our hopes for recalling the 843rd bomb wing are quickly being reduced to a very low order of probability. And the group pick, Network. Every goddamn executive fired from a network in the last 20 years has written this dumb book. And nobody wants a dumb damn goddamn So, welcome to another episode of My Movies Better. It's a podcast where I pick a movie for Kevin. And I pick a movie for Russell. You almost did it again every time. I just turn it on. And then you guys giant. pick a movie for us with a theme every week. And this theme this week is political. The political rumble. Yeah. Um, <sighs> where we cover two and a half political movies. Yes. <laughs> In one sort of political movie kinda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a fun week. Yeah. I, I have two new favorite movies added to my favorites list. Nice. So and, and now like maybe a new screenwriter. Nice. Yeah. So I yeah. think he might be up there for me. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to get into that later on. Yeah. Later on because we we haven't this is the opening. <laughs> yeah, this is the opening. This is the and we of didn't say anything we haven't recorded anything no. yet. Of course not. <laughs> we don't do that. We do the intro and, and protect the business. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, tonight's movies are Milk, Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying. I Love the Bomb and Network. So please enjoy episode fourteen of My Movies Better. Is the party over? Uh, well, it's just winding down. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Birthday Party. No, it's no problem. It's good to see I'm you, Dan. I'm sorry. It's good to see you, too, Harvey. Oh, I wanted to ask you the um, dog poop. Yeah. That's good. That's a really good one. That's a good one. <laughs> hey, I got you a little something. You didn't have to. I knew you were going to say that. Why do people always say that? You didn't have to. I mean, of course, right? 
But that's what they always say. They always say things like that. Always. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay, Harvey? Are we okay? Okay. I have learned a lot from watching you. Like that thing. No, I have. I realize you just kind of get out and you got to be nervous. Because that's how it all works. You have an issue. And that's your advantage. Dan, it's more than an issue. Dan, I have had four relationships in my life, and three of them have tried to commit suicide, and that's my fault because I kept them hidden and quiet because I was closeted and weak. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You do. This is not just jobs or issues. This is our lives we're fighting. My pick this week is the 1964 fantasy nightmare comedy, Dr. Strangelove. It's available on Amazon Prime, Vudu, YouTube, iTunes, and Google uh, Play, movies and TV. For more than a year, ominous rumors had been privately circulating among high-level Western leaders that the Soviet Union had been at work on what was darkly hinted to be the ultimate weapon a doomsday device. Intelligence sources traced the site of the top-secret Russian project to the perpetually fog-shrouded wasteland below the Arctic peaks of the Zokov Islands. What they were building, or why it should be located in such a remote and desolate place, no one could say. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed, Dimitri, and remember, there's just one thing, we are all in this together. We're right behind you, Dimitri. We're with you all the way. Yes? Mr. President, I'm beginning to smell a big, fat, commie rat. I mean, supposing Kissoff is lying about that fourth plane, just looking for an excuse to clobber us. I mean, if the spaghetti hits a fan now, we're in trouble. Dimitri, look, if this report is true and the plane manages to bomb the target, is it... Is this gonna is this gonna set off the doomsday machine? Well, we'll keep the line open. All right, Dimitri. General Turgeson, is there really a chance for that plane to get through? Mr. President, if I may speak freely. The Ruskin talks big, but frankly, we think he's short of know-how. I mean, you just can't expect a bunch of ignorant peons to understand a machine like some of our boys. And that's not meant as an insult, Mr. Ambassador. I mean. You, you take your average Rusky, we all know how much guts he's got. Hell, look at, look at all of them, them Nazis killed off, and they still wouldn't quit. Can't you stick to the point, General? Well, uh, sir, uh, if the pilot's good, see, I mean, I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that baby in solo. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, a big plane, like a 52. Vroom! It's jet exhaust, frying chickens in the barnyard. <laughs> yeah, but has he got a chance? Has he got a chance? <laughs> Hell yeah! There's no point in you getting hysterical at a moment like this. Dimitri, keep your feet on the ground when you're talking. Dimitri, I... I am not... I am not getting... Uh, no, Dimitri, I'm, I'm just worried, that's all.
All right, so Dr. Strangelove was directed by Stanley Kubrick, starred Peter Sellers, George Ski Scott, Peter Sellers, Slim Peckins, and Peter Sellers. Uh, it is 99% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning it is Stanley Kubrick's highest rated film on that platform. Russell, what did you think of this movie? Uh, I thought it was funny and really scary. Scary, yeah. Yeah, you mean which like is... I feel that way about, I guess, all three movies. This mm-hmm. The nuclear annihilation yeah. of everything. Like the, the <clears throat> satire of something really terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this movie definitely have a, heavy themes of nuclear war and the uh, proliferation, mutually assured destruction of the United States and Russia. Uh, came out right in the heat, like the middle of the Cold War, and actually was heavily inspired by the um, events surrounding the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, Kubrick was like terrified of that when that happened, and it inspired him to start making this movie, which started out as a uh, a straight adaptation of the book Red Alert, mm-hmm. which was a serious book. And then um, I actually saw this thing where this the writer who helped him write it they would end up working on it like all day and then by the end of like the evening they would start to he said they, they'd start to get a little goofy or a little nutty and start like cracking jokes in the middle of it and then realize like this is kind of ridiculous so they decided to turn it into one of the strangest comedies i think that has ever been made because it's not presented to the audience as a comedy yeah at all so um and actually, the film itself also raised worries over the United States' control over their own nuclear weapons. Like, people are like, hey, could this really happen? And at first, the Air Force said no, and they put out videos showing how it couldn't. And uh, But later on, it became more clear after some documents were declassified that actually it was a pretty, it was a pretty much true yeah. scenario that could have happened. The sketchy thing is, what, what, is the, what do they call it? The, uh, the gap? The, the, yeah, the the missile gap or the yeah. mi- the mine shaft gap at the end of the film. Yeah, the idea that uh, in real life that was an actual thing was uh, with the, uh, yeah. the amount of nukes that Russia had that we were trying to outdo them with. Like everybody, was, they were having they were trying to have more nukes than the other. Mm-hmm. Like that would win the thing. Like win the the war. It was right. like a strategy. Whereas like what Russia had alone could kill mankind. True. Could end. And, and also, uh, the U.S. played up to its own people that um, the missile gap was closer than it actually was. We had them like 12 to 1, but yeah. they let people think it was way closer. Um, I mean, 12 to 1 on missiles means like you could literally flatten their whole country before they could do anything to you. And I think that's where that comes into play in this movie. There's also a lot of sexual themes in this movie that... I think, uh, I don't know the first time I saw this movie a long time ago for the first time. It was like a movie I heard about and then asked for Christmas. And I still actually have the DVD that I got in like freshman year of high school. And I, mm-hmm. that's what I watched. Um, and it amazed me because I was like, what, you know, what is this? All I just heard was that Kubrick was an amazing director and this was an amazing, this was a, a great film of his. So that's why I watched it. And, uh, I I was never quite sure until later what I thought was like probably there's this interesting subtext to the whole thing about masculinity, which we've talked about before in some of these movies. 
and I think it's interesting that like not only do you have like the um the imagery of planes going in and out, that whole opening sequence with the refueling and the plane, like the obvious sexual yeah. themes there. But also there's one thing I, I didn't really think about until I was watching it now. Um, and that's the like the sort of masculinity that the character George C. Scott, the, the actor George C. Scott, his character, uh portrays or, or embodies in this movie. Um, and he's also the only person out of all of them who you see with a woman, his secretary in a bikini. So it shows like it's supposed to be, I guess, showing that he's some sort of sexually virile masculine guy. And then he sort of takes control of the film as your, you almost get lured by him into siding with what he thinks, which is not, exactly this he's not exactly the smartest guy nor does he seem to have everybody like you know people's uh best interest at hand but you kind of naturally start to side with him in a weird way the secretary mm-hmm. that was uh somebody's wife in the movie the, gen- the guy he was on the phone with the the general oh really yeah i'm pretty sure that was a- well i think it was it was like she like maybe had also fooled around with him too the way she was talking to him on the phone, she's like, she's like, oh, hi, Freddie. And then she she turns, she calls to turgits him and she's like, oh, a colonel something or other is on the phone. Like, she doesn't yeah, know the him. Yeah, colonel. It was the yeah. colonel. That's his... And then she's coming back and being like, oh, well, Freddie, can you hang on? What's that? Like, she's acting like she doesn't know him, but she obviously knows him intimately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also uh, it was, I mean, it was lampooning, like, the ruling class. Um, and... Like how even just how the whole plot line of uh, of General Jack T. Ripper, who is going to because he has erectile dysfunction, you come to find out basically this is that's why he's doing this. He thinks that the communists are putting something in the fluids and, and sapping bodily fluids. And that's why he can't get an erection. And it's kind of, he doesn't say it outright, but when he's talking to Peter Sellers, when they're, you know, in the in the the room in the middle of the battle. He's like, I've, I've been with a woman before. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of women. Like, and it's like, that's the whole reason for this. So, yeah. like, there's a bit of mocking, like, the people who have the uh, all the power, should we really trust them to have that much power? I just realized that Jack T. Ripper, I mean, I knew that Jack T. Ripper, the right. joke was that his name was Jack the Jack Ripper. Ripper. Yeah. Uh, that dude definitely had the, well, didn't definitely, because we don't know who he is, but the, the theory behind his killings and stuff like that. The real Jack the River was his erectile dysfunction. True. Could be, could That's be a little subtle shout out. Well, there's a lot of interesting names in this movie. Like for instance, pre- I think it's president Martin Muffley. Yeah. And, um, then there's also, I, I, something I read about that was that his, whatever his first name really, I don't think it was Martin, whatever his name was, uh, meant like pubic hair or something like that. And then his last name is Muffley. Perfect. Yeah. Then there was another Ma- character. Uh, what was his name? It means shit, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Uh, Colonel he- Bat Guano. Guano. And that one's... Uh, it's That's literally Mexican bat, bird shit. It's Bat Guano, too, though. He says Colonel Bat Guano. Yeah. So, like, his in, there, that one was always something I was like... It almost felt like Monty Python to me, where it's, yeah. like, literally goes so out of the realm of weirdness. Like, Mar- whatever Muffley. President Muffley yeah. is weird enough. Um, but yeah, <laughs> literally have a name that's batshit. Like it's just, that guy's actually one of my favorite characters too. That whole routine they do where he's like, 
he's like, I, you know, I don't believe you. I, that his the way he the character is played, it's like that uh, New York sort of comedy. It feels like a character straight out of a Mel Brooks movie or something like yeah. that. You're gonna have to answer to the Coca Cola Corporation. <laughs> like he's the one. Uh, he, he was convinced that they were trying to bring their like pretty much their. I guess they didn't say it outright, but the the gay. Oh yeah. Agenda. Yeah. And they want to infiltrate America with and just make America so perverted. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Preversion. Preverts like you. Yeah, he was he was definitely one of the best characters, I think. Um, It's also kind of weird because, like, I was thinking about this. uh, Why? I've often wondered why the film is called Dr. Strangelove. Not so much the subtitle of how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. I kind of get that in the satirical sense of Mm -hmm. like. It's like, might as well give up because this is what's going to happen or whatever. But why is the movie named after a character who's barely in the movie? And so I did a little research on that and I found some, a quote that I really liked. Um, this person, I don't remember where exactly I got it from, but they said that the character best embodies the scientific quote unquote progress that has resulted in the creation of the atomic bomb and he's therefore the center of a system that makes the plot happen. But more importantly, he's the emblem of the main themes, technology and humanity, the perversity of systems, the frailty of individuals within those systems and the absurdity of rational thinking. And so it's like his character embodies like everything, the, the extreme of like everything that's wrong with everything going on in the movie. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that he's the, he's the most important character in a way, even though he does so little. I just thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Another little interesting thing I found out about this, which I've heard before is that the original ending of the movie was a pie fight. (laughs) Yeah. There's just a huge pie fight in the war room. And Kubrick was shooting it and was like, yeah, no, nah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> this isn't how I envisioned it. So my favorite, the, well, not even my favorite. I mean, I feel like it's everybody's favorite. And like the standout line of that movie is that you can't fight in here. This is the oh, war yeah. room. This is a war room. Yep. <laughs> well, then interesting too, because like, that's a great way of describing like how this movie plays comedy so different from other comedy movies. Like in normally in a scene like that, you would see you'd see like five cuts in that scene of people's reactions to everything mm-hmm. that's going on, keeping the audience's eye on what's funny. But really what you get is it's like one straight shot where all three of them are in this are in picture and then another straight shot showing uh, uh, the president walking away and then hearing, you know, them fighting. And then you get a shot of uh the the uh the russian ambassador and turgidson fighting Mm. and then he walks back into frame it's like there's not a close-up of his face there's not like there it doesn't draw attention to the joke it's played straight like it's not supposed to be funny and i think that that really encompasses why it's so funny yeah another one of my favorite lines is when dr strange loves talking about how they could create this this death machine, this uh, doomsday device. Mm-hmm. And Turgidson says to one of the guys, like, man, we got to get us one of them doomsday machines. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally missing the point completely. Um, and it, another one later on at the end where, like, they all start getting excited about the idea of having a, uh, a society where it's 10 women to every man. And yeah. he's like, so, uh, ratio, great. yeah, like... <laughs> it's it's very it's very funny but it's definitely also kind of 
subdued in mm-hmm. its humor. Um, cause it, it, another way I heard this film described was it's a film about a paradox, like the paradox of nuclear war, illustrating humanity as a paradox that is in itself a paradox. Like for instance, when, uh, they're flying the guys in the plane that's, you know, slim Pickens and those guys they're flying. And he has just told them in the last, the last time you saw them that, there's a good chance Washington and New York and all, everything's gone. There is no un- United States anymore. The Russians have destroyed all these cities. And then he's telling them that when they get back home, they're going to be in line for some commendations and medals. Again, totally missing the point that like he also just told them there is no home to go back to. Like So the, yeah. the paradoxes just keep coming up. And uh, yeah. And I, like you were saying earlier, be off off before we uh, started recording, it then ends with him riding, literally riding an atomic bomb, mm-hmm. which is in between his legs. So it can also be seen, again, sexual themes as his manhood um, and then the world basically ending. What was the? There was a song in the movie. We'll meet um, again. No, uh, a war song. Oh, John, when Johnny comes marching home again. Yeah. Yeah. There's two variations to that song. Yep. The it's, Irish version. Yeah, that one is, of them's Johnny. One of them's when Johnny come marching home, which is a you know ballad about the soldiers coming back, so it's positive. Yeah. And the other one is about a. De- it's Johnny. I hardly knew ye. It's yeah, a, the it's Irish a, version where he had came home, kind of like mutilated for right, more, like missing right, the leg. And exactly, it's shit. the depressing version, and it's playing yeah. both in. It's uh the song is usually what I saw it titled as is bomb run, um because huh. it usually plays while it's they're on the uh, the plane. But yeah, it's it's a combination of those two. There's only technically three pieces of music in the whole film. There's the opening segment, which is an orchestral version of a pop song, which is name escapes me right now. Then there's that piece of music. And then at the very end, well, technically, there's also the little radio. There's a, a little bit of jazz on the radio that uh, that the British Peter Sellers character <laughs> Mandrake the Mandrake yes. is playing, yeah, are listening to. And then there's, uh, at the very end, there's We'll Meet Again. So the whole rest of the movie is just dialogue and natural noises, I guess you could say. Yeah. Which I think is another really interesting thing in a comedy to be so sparse. Because, again, the whole thing's played like it's a drama, like it's a straight-up movie. And trying to, you know, pull the wool over your eyes. Um. And I think it's also interesting that like when you once it gets to the end and you see all these bombs going off and it's like, okay, the world's fucked. Everybody's dead. Um, That that's the one point in the movie where you get like an emotional catharsis and like that song is playing. And it's like it's it's like the only expression of hope in the whole film or something, you know, everybody's dead. Yeah, basically. Because I think it's like, look, this it's almost like Kubrick being like, this is going to happen. You're going to we're going to meet this problem again. We're going to come up, you know, we're going to have another Cuban Missile Crisis or whatever it is. Like, you know, so it's like that. I would not be surprised now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But yeah. So uh, it's one of my personal favorite movies. I think I mentioned earlier. Um, And I think it's really, really good. And, and for sure political in, in yeah, some level. Yeah. Well, definitely, you know, it's it, like you meant we were talking about before you were saying like it could also be classified as a war movie. And I think that's definitely true. But it's like the political side of war. So I think that's where it, it 
fits in here. You know, it features politicians and it features soldier you know, officers in the military who really are, they're Washington politicians now too. You know, they're all stationed yeah. there. So, um, and also the, this, the political crisis between nations. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that's all I got to say. You got anything else? No. Mm-hmm. I'll get to it. Yeah. In the verdict. Yeah. You want to, uh, grab some, like, like, I don't know, like some, uh, I don't have time. I really, I gotta, you gotta go. All right. I gotta piss. All right. Go piss. Last year, a study of this project by the Blend Corporation. Based on the findings of the report, my conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent for reasons which at this moment must be all too obvious. Then you mean it is possible for them to have built such a thing? Technology required is easily within the means of even the smallest nuclear power. But this is fantastic, Strangelove. It requires only the will to do so. But how is it possible for this thing to be triggered automatically and at the same time impossible to untrigger? Mr. President, it is not only possible, it is essential. How can it be triggered automatically? Well, it's remarkably simple to do that. When you merely wish to bury bombs, there's no limit to the size. After that, they are connected to a gigantic complex of computers. Hmm. A single roll of shape can store all the information... What kind of a name is that? That ain't no crowd name, is it, You changed it when you became a citizen. It used to be like Vector Lieber. My pick is the 2008 drama romance biopic, Milk. It is available on Prime, Vudu, YouTube, iTunes, and Netflix with a subscription. If you have something to discuss, Harvey, you can have your aid make an appointment with my aide. Dan, I know you're upset about the psychiatric center. What else do you have coming up? Now you need something from me. <laughs> what do you want me to support the queers against Prop 6? Is that it? We prefer the term gay, Dan. Just as I'm sure you prefer the term Irish-American instead of Mick. Harvey, society can't exist without the family. We're not against that. You're not? What, can two men reproduce? No. But God knows we keep trying. (laughs) This isn't you, Dan. It's like you're channeling Anita and Briggs. We've got to be able to work together on something. Okay, Milk. 
introduce an initiative for supervisor pay raises. And we both have elections coming up. You can't do that. No, right? you asked for something. Introduce pay raises, because I can't take care of my family on our salaries. You don't have that problem, do you? So Milk was written by Dustin Lance Black and directed by Gus Van Sant, and it got a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. It stars Sean Penn, James Franco, Josh Brolin, and I would say it kind of stars Emil Hirsch and Diego Luna. They're yeah. like more side characters. Yeah, they're definitely in it. They're in it, but mm. starring, we've had this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think? Uh, okay, well, I'm going to preface this with I hate biop movies in general. I've never, I think I enjoyed Ray and I enjoy, I would say like this, I enjoyed what I usually enjoy what the actor who plays the person does when they're really good. When Mm. I hear a movie like this is good, I never believe it because biops have this weird thing about them where they like, they totally butcher someone's life to put it all, to fit it all within. And I just feel like this film was like really all over the place like and in it 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 annoyed me in how it represented certain things and I'm, the the my main gripe which is the thing i basically the only real bad bad thing about it cuz i think overall it's not a terrible film it definitely Sean Penn definitely deserved an oscar his performance is very good and he sounds a whole hell of a lot like the real Harvey Milk this is Harvey Milk played only in the event of my death by assassination. I fully realize that um, a person uh, who stands for what I stand for, an activist, gay activist, becomes the target or the potential target for somebody who is insecure, terrified, afraid. But like, there's this weird goofiness that keeps happening in the film. And I can't tell why, because there's also at the same time, there's this whole tragedy, uh, the opera Tosca layer to it. And I felt like if they went straight up into that direction and just like filled it up with opera music in the background and made it feel like really like like tragic, Mm. it would have been better than going this goofy route. And they do it a bunch of times in the movie. And I think it's really best uh, represented by that scene where drunk James Brolin shows up. Um, and he's like, Hey, oh, I'm sorry. I missed your party. And he's like, he's like acting drunk. It's fine. It's Josh Brolin. Did I say James Brolin? Say yeah, James Brolin. my bad. Josh Brolin shows up and he's like drunk and he's like, uh, Diego Luna walks in. He's like, who are you? Where did you come from? You random guy. And it's like, I'm <laughs> like sitting here chuckling and I'm like, this doesn't feel like it belongs in the movie. Like it feels like I, I'm not hating this guy that I already know is going to kill Harvey Milk. It's making him too likable right. in a lot of ways. Um, and so, like, the, there's a lot of stuff like that where I, and I wrote it down a bunch of times I was watching. I was like, what is with this goofiness to certain scenes that, like, 
I don't know what, what they're trying to go for. I know that most of these movies are like feel good movies, yeah. but it's like this isn't a feel good story, really. I mean, it is though. It isn't. It is the shooting. Even then, like his assassination kind of started uh, a wave. Yeah, yeah. There. Well, there was to a... go from like San Francisco to like a national right, right story, which got more and more gay people right. elected in office. But the the idea of the the slight comedy bit to it and the the goofy weirdness is that Harvey Milk referred to to the story of his life on a regular basis as like a, a circus. Everything right. was a circus. And I think they were trying to match that tone. There was a circus that led up to it. Right, right. And it was in, in literal media circus too. I mean, it, it just, I don't know. It, it made sense to me. I got it. I, yeah. I thought um, the funniness is because he was every, watch any interview of the real Harvey Milk. Oh no, on I, TV. he's a, I definitely agree that. I actually, um, and funny about really serious and dark subjects. Yeah. I, right after I watched the movie, I ended up watching like an old, it wasn't unsolved mysteries, but it was like a show from that era about it. Get it. So getting like the whole, uh, the real background story. And it was pretty much, pretty much spot on. The, the one difference that I really noticed was how the killing was described in the documentary and how it took place in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because like, it was basically described that like he like went in, he got into an argument with the mayor, then shot him and then sprinted down the hallway like I can go kill Harvey now. In the movie, it was like he walked down and like asked to speak with him and it really wasn't what what happened. And I also there's just interesting stuff like that where like I, sometimes I feel like movies take a little bit of a liberty with people's lives. And it, mm-hmm. so there's parts of it that I was kind of like, I don't know how I feel about how they're representing this story because I think that there's just so many angles coming from it. You know, it didn't really, the movie didn't really pick a particular angle. And this went from like sound production. There were times where the music in the background just didn't fit with what was going on. There were times where the camera angles were weird. And like, I would say it was like all of a sudden the camera was going back and forth for like in the speech scene. Mm -hmm. Um, one of them, I guess there's like probably five in the movie, but the the one where, where he gets the letter, that's like, you're going to get shot. Like, you know, you go to the, you get the first bullet when you go to the microphone. Then that scene, it kept going back and forth from like a steady wide angle lens cam to like shaky cam in the audience and stuff. And it just feels like somebody is like, it's a T made for TV or something. There's something like that just, it always, when I watch biops, I always get the same feeling. Like I'm watching a music video, not a movie, you know? And I wish they had focused more on Sean Penn and Josh Brolin's, you know, respective performances, because that's really the central story of the movie. I'm not and not saying they shouldn't have focused on all the stuff about, you know, gay rights and Anita Bryant and the senator and stuff, because it's obviously really important. But I think like the story of those two and the, the fact that, you know, his uh, his trial and everything that happened after it, the fact that he got off with a double murder is relegated to being a title card at the end, being like, you know, oh, this happened too. You know, and I get it. It's about Harvey Milk's life, not Dan Brown's life. But I think that I would have liked to know, like, what the people who knew Harvey, how they reacted to what happened with that trial. You know, like, it, it was, it just seemed like, there was a lot of missed opportunities in the film. I understand why people enjoy it. And I think that for 
what it does for normalizing gay romance Mm -hmm. in a movie. It was like, hey, guess what? If you are uncomfortable with guys kissing, you don't want to watch this movie because there's going to be lots (laughs) of it. And that's a I think that's a really good thing because it's normalizing something that usually is treated as being weird in films and stuff like that and showing like still to this day, like for some reason, a comedy bit. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah. I still don't. I don't. I think that joke is kind of played out. It's weird. That oh, totally, is. totally. Like even more recently, mm. um, even in like Twenty Two Jump Street. Yeah, I, yep. that, that, I don't know why that's supposed to be hilarious, but it made me uncomfortable. The Rob Riggle. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. And he's his yeah. bitch and all this stuff. Right. And and uh, I saw a short with um, and I love Sam Rockwell, but it was Sam Rockwell, and it was like a, a side story for MCU. For Marvel, they had these little short movies that would conclude things to kind of make the people who are upset about movies feel better about them. Right. Everybody hated the whole story with the Mandarin. So the actual gang, the actual um, terrorist group, the Nine Swords or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, They like they just one of the people that is in it disguises himself as uh, a member of like a reporting thing and he goes in there to like do an interview with him and then he tells him he's going to kill him and he's like I'm right. sent here by the real mandarin and so he doesn't kill him he takes him away to go meet the real mandarin the real mandarin mm-hmm. um but while that's happening sam they do an outtake thing with sam rockwell and his like boyfriend in jail he's calling him baby and stuff like that and suddenly he's gay in jail but that's like it's not treated as like oh that's cool he like oh he just, he came out and now he's happy he's in jail and he's with somebody yeah, else yeah no well, it was it's- like this is He's in jail, and that's what you right. do. You go to jail, and now you're gay, and you have gay sex with other men, and you're yep. someone's bitch, or you well, have a bitch. I was watching something... Just it's like, that's not funny to Yeah, me. I was that's watching something stupid. the other day that was from pretty recent, and I can't remember what it was, but they had like a um, a drop the soap joke, and I was like, wow, people are still doing that one, huh? Like, it seems like that... Yeah, it just seems not only overplayed, but also like... You're joking about something that's really fucked up. Like, yeah, I just, you know, not everybody in jail is actually a criminal or is actually deserved of the, that sort of punishment. If any of them, you know, like yeah. it's just this, this like very un, inhumane way of looking at the world to laugh at something like that. So big, big bang theory has a scene where he goes to uh, the wrong door when he's mm. going to meet Sheldon for the first time mm-hmm. for the apartment. And the guy that opens the door is it's just a big black man in a pink dress putting in loop ear- earrings. And then he was like, uh, Sheldon Cooper? And he was like, oh, no, you want that weirdo across the hall. And then the crowd laughs, and then you hear him overlaying his narrating the, the, the story going, right. to, be a, to be fair, that should have probably been my first red flag. The joke is that that guy is a total fucking weirdo in like a right. bad way. Right. It's like that's why is that he's just a he's just a drag queen or he's a trans exactly. woman. Like that's yeah. such a weird Or he's being forced it's not to like, dress up like a woman while he's in jail. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like some weird thing that like that, that it's it's a different time. Right. I grew up saying I'm not I have held myself accountable a million times. It's not an excuse, but at least now there's a whole social awareness around how effective that is and how right. it's not okay. Right. And people are still doing it in film. They're still making a joke. Like comedy's supposed to be offensive. Yeah, maybe to stand up. Well, like, it's, I think it's it like doesn't, it's not an offensive comedy when you do an offensive joke in a comedy that's not offensive. It's it's, it's about not punching down below yourself. I think yeah. like you can make. I think you know obviously you shouldn't get into racial or discriminatory type stuff ever with comedy. But like if you're making fun of someone and the person is 
not doesn't have the same rights or privilege or whatever you call it that they have you it's really just like punching down it's kicking a dead horse it's like you're gonna go like attack somebody who's already been beaten down like wow you're that's really it's just to me it's just like always make sure that you're attacking something that's higher up than you yeah you know that like make fun of rich people yeah (laughs) but not because they're black or gay but because they're (laughs) jackasses or whatever they do you know um but yeah, so, so I think even when you're talking about the erratic camera behavior and all that stuff in the movie that seems off to you, I think that's the point. I think it's supposed to feel that way. I think it's supposed to feel right. like well, just, it's, a, just a circus. Everything a, is erratic and silly. Here's the thing, though. Like, in most biops, that's what they do. And in one of my favorite movies of all time, does this a similar thing within the movie, but is able to keep really good camera work all throughout. And that's Forrest Gump. This movie reminded me of Forrest Gump in the way that it it moved. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I think a bunch of biops after that movie, since that movie came out, are trying to capture the spirit that that movie has. How it's each scene just bleeds into the next. These musical interludes that bring you from year to year to year to year as you go through this guy's life. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes it just feels like it's not that I didn't like what they're doing in the movie. I just don't find it original. I don't find it like. They're do they're not breaking new ground in any way, you know? So I think that it's like the movie's still fine. It's just not a great movie. It's a great performance. And that maybe can bring it up, but like I always say this, like, okay, well, let's replace Sean Penn or uh or Jamie Foxx and Ray or any of these people who have played really uh another one, Natalie Portman as Jackie and Jackie oh. O. So good. Replace them with a not as good performance, and how does the movie feel? A movie doesn't feel as good, I don't think. You know, and I know that's like almost impossible to do, but we really think about it. It's like, all right, if I put, if we put Dennis Quaid in as Harvey Milk, because I know Are you, you were trying sh- to trigger me right now. Yeah, it was a little bit because I knew you were talking shit about him the other day. Uh, I have no, I have, don't care about Dennis Quaid. I do like that one commercial he's in, but that's not him. That's a commercial someone wrote. It's funny. It's like nationwide or something. It's, I hate that. You know, like that commercial. I, that's where I started getting. That, like, that's oh where my get, God, he's See, so I kind of like that. It, but that's uh, the whole point. You probably want to hear commercials about. <laughs> that's kind of the joke, though, isn't it? You don't want to hear Dennis Quaid. I don't want to hear Dennis I, Quaid at all. See, I thought he did something. I like looked it up, and I was like, "Well, he didn't get accused of doing anything horrible. <laughs> what has no. Dennis Quaid done to you, Russell?" <laughs> no, he's. But like, like he'd say, "Okay, so Dennis Quaid's playing Harvey Milk. How good is that movie?" If it's Dennis Quaid, then it's not a good movie. So there you go. You know, if the movie but that's, there's people who argue that about a bunch of people, I, it's just I just don't like him. I just don't. He as an actor, he plays the same right. person in all these movies. No, no, I get he you. Have, I, he I said outstanding I have performances. I got no dog in the race with Dennis Quaid. I, I can't even. It. I honestly, don't get it. I just don't get the Dennis Quaid thing. Can name? I can't even name a Dennis Quaid movie. I know more Randy Quaid movies like. Independence Day for one. Randy Quaid was in that. Yeah, Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, That's two, and I can't name a single Dennis Quaid movie because they're all bad. Well, I can name a good amount of Dennis Quaid movies. Well, that's a, I mean like a Dennis Quaid vehicle, not a movie the that he's movie in. The best movie he was in, it wasn't even really supposed to. It wasn't, I don't think people actually liked the movie. I thought it was all right, but it wasn't because of him. And the fact is his character was supposed to be unbearable the way I find him unbearable. Well, which so it movie? Made sense. He was in a movie where one of his students, Sarah Jessica Parker, was one of his students in, in a college thing, and then she ended up like taking care of him. He had like some kind of 
PTSD yeah. and, and OCD. And he sat like behind her and he could never drive the car. He couldn't sit in the front. He couldn't sit on the right side of the vehicle. He was uh, just obsessive compulsive and just yep. annoying. Yep. He played the, the character he was playing is what I see when I see Dennis Quaid in general. So he did that's it works. It's kind of like Nicolas Cage is not the most fantastic actor, no. but when he plays on himself and is a parody of himself, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Well, like I think he's also Mandy he plays and, the and right role. Raising Arizona. Yeah. Exactly. No, he doesn't play the right role. He plays every role. No, I'm saying if he plays the right oh, okay. role. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say. Because I think like for instance, like in Con I love Con Air. Yeah. But Nicolas Cage is nothing, almost nothing to do with the reason why I love it. He's like low on the list. Yeah. There's other movies where it's like that he's in where it's like it's all about Nicolas. Like The Rock. To me, that's Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. That's what that movie is about to me. That's yeah. what that's what I remember the most. We keep from doing it. this. We're, we're both rambling again. We are rambling. But this movie goes all over the place. So we're going to go a little yeah, all over so the we're, place. We're also a circus. But uh, I will say it does. This film picks up a lot in like the, the second half. Once, like, the whole, like, battle between him and Dan starts and, like, his rise to real success starts and you you kind of already know. I mean, I feel like most people walking into this movie knew that he had been killed. I feel like this isn't, like, a surprise when you're watching this movie, you know? So, yeah. like, I think it did well. That's always a tough thing. It's like, how do you do a movie about Abraham Lincoln, right, when everybody already knows the ending? Like, you're going to have to do stuff in it to make it more than just the ending. So I think they did a good job in that way. And it was definitely, I'll tell you this much, I enjoyed it. As much as I talked shit about it, like I liked watching it. I was intrigued by it and I wanted to, even though I already knew the story, I wanted to keep watching. So, yeah. Um, also, did you know that uh, the Dead Kennedys, the punk band from San Francisco, did a song, which I'm going to put in here, um, which was called, uh, it was a, a cover of I Fought the Law, mm -hmm. but with lyrics that had to do with this and uh, about how Dan Brown got off with murder, basically. Was, I fought the law and I won, um, basically because he had a badge. Huh. Yeah. So Dead Kennedys, yeah, inspired to write this song. Um, I know they were part of that same group, you know, just the, the people who were maligned in uh, San Francisco for being different and weird or gay or mm -hmm. whatever it was. But yeah, so uh, that's all I really get to say about Milk. Um, anything else from you? No. Alright, well let's move on. I blew George and Harvey's brains out with my We don't allow people who practice bestiality to teach our children, and excuse me, and the reason we don't is because it's illegal. It is not illegal to be a homosexual in California. And your law goes even further, that it's any school employee who even supports a gay person. Well, that's true. The gay people don't have any children of their own, and if they don't recruit our children, they'd all just die away. You know, and, and, and that's why they're all so interested in becoming teachers, because they want to encourage our children to join them. How do you teach homosexuality? Is it like French? Well, 
I was born of heterosexual parents taught by heterosexual teachers in a fiercely heterosexual society. So why then am I homosexual? And no offense meant, but if it were true that children mimic their teachers, we'd have a hell of a lot more nuns running around. Listener pick this week is the 1976 drama satire network. It is available on YouTube and Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, and iTunes. And now, the distinguished television news commentator, Mr. Howard Beale. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like at this moment to announce that I will be retiring from this program in two weeks' time because of poor ratings. Since this show was the only thing I had going for me in my life, I have decided to kill myself. I'm going to blow my brains out right on this program a week from today. What the hell's going on? Prepare yourself for a perfectly outrageous motion picture. Howard Beale went up there last night and said what every American feels, that he's tired of all the bull... sakes, Diana, we're talking about putting a manifestly irresponsible man on national television. I am not putting Howard back on the air. It's not your show anymore, Max. It's mine. I got a feeling I'm being made. You are. I got to warn you, I, I don't do anything on my first date. We'll see. I want a show developed based on the activities of a terrorist group. Well, Ahmed, I want to make a TV star out of you. Just like Archie Bunker. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and DuPont and Exxon. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Why me? Was your own television, dummy? Ladies and gentlemen, the Network News Hour with Howard Beale. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. All right, so Network was written by Patty Chafsky and directed by Sidney Lumiere. And it stars Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Robert Duvall, and in an Oscar-winning performance for Best Actor, Peter Finch, as our crazy news anchor who's lost his mind, Howard Beale. Mm. So, uh, Russell, what did you think of this sort of not-really-political sort of political movie? (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't even give it sort of political. Yeah, it's not political. I, I don't. I didn't. I don't know. But this is like, like I get where people are trying to argue that the Princess Bride. We 
got like carried away with the theme saying mm. that revenge is but to me like i said revenge is a like one of the main two themes right, it's not right. like a side hoe it's <laughs> it's the story <laughs> about revenge. Yeah. this had nothing to do with politics at all it was all about a network like a, a tv network like i was saying before we started uh recording the best thing i could say about it is that it's a movie that had takes a political stance um against television and news networks and how and like there's that whole scene where the uh where Ned Beatty is like yelling at him about how the world is run not by countries but by money and that like it's all connected and like the Saudi dollars pay for this and that and like so I think that there's a political message in the movie, which is why I would, uh, you know, say that it, that that's the best thing I could say about it, and from a political standpoint. Yeah. But yeah, like thematically, it's more about the news and how the news is uh, shown to people. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, even in that, it could kind of be considered political for that reason. But it doesn't feature almost any politicians. No. Not so, a single character as a politician. Right. Um, what I will say, though, is it's easily become like one of my favorite movies like ever. Agreed. <laughs> I so really good. enjoyed it. I've never it. seen it, and it's all the, yep. the awards it won, and all yeah. the, the the seeing how Chomsky wrote the script is like one of the most mind-boggling things ever. And he's also, I think he's the first, I don't know if it was this movie or was it your movie? No, I'm pretty sure it was this movie where Chomsky wrote this movie by himself, it was one of the first times he didn't have an, like a, a writer yes. with no help yep. won multiple awards. Yeah, I believe you're right because I know Doctor Strange Love is written by Kubrick and another screenwriter. So yeah. I believe you're right on that. It, it's it's fascinating. Like uh, you, you know the new Black Mirror Netflix yeah. series where it's uh, like Bandersnatch. You, yeah, yeah. And it's based on the book and how it's mm-hmm. like you kind of find you have choose, to find yeah the right choose path. your own adventure. Yeah. Um, so he kind of did that with the screenplay itself, like constantly, and it was really fascinating to see like. So there was this hotshot character. It was really cool. I was watching this whole like short doc on on uh, YouTube about it, mm-hmm. um, which I, if I can remember the channel, it's about writing yeah. screenplays. Um, when I, I'll I'll find it and then you can put it in the the, the description. description. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had this hotshot character, right? Which was uh, what the news director, uh, the guy who, who William Holden. Yes. Yeah. Um, it would just be him, but it was like a younger, like in his twenties and thirties, very hot shot type character. Then there was like, well, nobody's there to like kind of give him any type of conflict to get through and like kind of develop as a character. Mm-hmm. So they they introduced a girl character right. who just kind of kept him grounded, would kind of put him in check and say, like, you're you're only saying this because of this, this, and that. Then it still it all it did was further the the nothing's is if he's just constantly being told he's wrong immediately and it gets the problem fixed and there's no growth there either right so then he took this character and made him a withered not withered but like a vet like a, a right. grizzled vet character uh that's takes no bullshit type of right. character and then took her the love interest and the hotshot character and turned them into one character and created oh. a love story then created a whole map like this maze he had to get that's through crazy. of this relationship this like such a, it's not a side story really right, it's one of the right. main plot lines but this whole story between him and her, Diana, is like he needed it to have it needed to have an agenda for the movie that brought the movie forward. Right. So it went through a maze that took him like months of going like, what is the point of the relationship? 
he even like went as far as originally the story said that he was divorced to, right, to kind right. of keep him as like this wholesome right. lovable character but what ended up happening is that the, the girl character diana she doesn't even have like remorse over anything like no. no sympathy for nothing there's no vulnerabilities in this character and it, it he is obsessed with her on every level fundamentally except for morally like loves yep. her for her beauty for her charm for her humor for her uh drive and just does not agree with her morally whatsoever because she's completely devoid of morals yeah, yeah i mean that's really interesting because uh it's one of the most elaborate there's well, a whole documentary a, uh, book on how yeah, he wrote that movie that's amazing i gotta it's check crazy. that out he um was a tv writer yeah and that's i think it, it i loved how uh the the scene where he's like trying to talk to her about it and he's like this is where like this is all fitting into your plan it's like a tv romance and now i'll do this and you'll do that like and it it felt like he was this was a tv writer who was like no one ever wants to say how like awful this stuff is yeah and i'm gonna like use my knowledge of writing tv to create this movie because it almost there's like a dreamlike quality to everything that's happening but it's doesn't I wouldn't like go so far as to say it's like dreams and madness level. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit of like this weird sort of like maybe maybe almost like how uh, movies like uh, uh, the Big Trouble in Little China are where you're like there's something like the reality is not exactly right here. It's mm-hmm. like in this case, you're watching television and the characters act like they would in a television show you know right. what i mean and so this was definitely in the vein of doctor strange love it was it was highly satirical definitely highly yep. like a statement definitely. yeah it's weird too because this was one of those movies where i was like i can't believe i never watched this and like i i never really heard of it i'd heard it mentioned yeah but never knew like who was in it or why people should watch it i know about the i'm angry as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore i know about that yeah. but i didn't know that's this is where it was from so I, I used to watch those. Uh, there's a guy who does like montages. He'll play mm-hmm. like one of the, like the most dramatic songs from a movie ever. One of them being the song from Arrival. Yeah. And then he just plays like the best performances. Yeah. It's just good performances through the whole thing. It's, uh, you know, you can't handle the truth and shit like that. A bunch of Michael Shannon, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix and, and Phil Seymour Hoffman and the master. And that's one of the scenes. The one where he's sweaty as hell. No, which he, is also done as like he's wet. He was like outside. Yeah, the, in the, the rain. second half of the first take and the the first half of the second take, they just went straight into it. That's amazing. And so that was like a foreshadowing of his poor health. Yeah, he went on to like die of a heart attack only months later. Mm-hmm. That was like he was really when he seems like he's struggling in that. He that's, is. He's genuinely his health yeah. is really struggling yeah. in that scene. Yeah. Yes, as we mentioned before, he won an Oscar, and it was a posthumous Oscar because yeah. he had died at that point. Um, but until Heath Ledger, he was the only. Yep, exactly. He is really, really good in this movie. Um, I think really all the acting is great. Faye Dunaway almost steals the whole movie mm-hmm. with her. Just like she's like she's acting at like a breakneck speed, basically. And I think that uh, I think that it's it's really just she's got a, a presence and a power in this movie. And uh, William Holden is doing his the the thing he always does, which is playing like this this amazing straight man type character. Mm-hmm. But Finch 
is like volatile in this movie that his uh howard beale that character is like in, in every scene i felt like he was like ready to explode yeah. you know like in there even when he's like oh no everything's fine i'm gonna go do that they want him to do the be crazy on tv and and like you feel like william holden is like no you're gonna die dude you gotta stop doing this yeah. like and that mixed with the whole thing of him like passing out after he does the show and like like it was just is very very uh dark sort of weird comedic ride mm -hmm. and like you said it reminded me a lot of Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Um I also think one one other little interesting thing in terms of looking at it in comparison to Milk. So Milk is a movie that takes place around the same time this movie was shot and takes place. And that was another thing that I kind of had a problem with in Milk that I realized when I was watching this movie, how like in a biop, everything is so everybody's hair stays like exactly the same, the whole movie, like yeah. they may change clothes, but everything looks perfect. Even when like someone's stumbling in drunk, like Josh Brolin in this movie, you see people in the, in how they are in reality, they, their hair gets messed up, their clothes gets messed up, you know? And I, so it just, it kind of pointed that out to me that I was like, Oh, that was kind of one of the things I don't ever like about biops. It feels like everything has this, like, it's like painted on, yeah, you know, as um, opposed to the feeling like reality. I can give you another fun fact that I thought was really cool to yeah. learn about. Um, so the screenwriter in this, he has this obsession with it, when it's put into a film, he doesn't want networks, I'm not networks, but um, production companies or directors to take the characters that he wrote and kind of push them in a different direction or right. manipulate the film a little bit, maybe change lines and let ad-libs and stuff like that. The only things that were ad libbed were like not words, like moments. So, like if an airplane were to pass by, there'd be a moment where the per the actor would feel like they're that person. Um, they would like they would look at the airplane, right? Like a dog started walking up and smelling, they would pet the dog, things like that that made it feel more raw and organic. The only word in the entire movie that was said off script yeah. was the word "as," and it was because they had only done one and a half takes and they thought it was perfect, and that was "I'm as mad as hell." And Instead he's supposed of, to say, I'm mad. I'm mad as hell. Yeah. And even the people in the windows screaming it and all that stuff, everybody that mentions it, they say they say it the right way. I'm mad as hell. Mm -hmm. So he's the only person who went off script in the history of any of these guys' movies ever. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yep. Everything, once the final script was done, there was no changing it. it. Yeah. There was no, it wasn't like, Kubrick, right, <laughs> changed, right? Like in The Shining, changed the script like several times yep, in the middle of the movie. Yep. A lot of movies are like yeah. that, and he even didn't do that. and even they can go from being scripted a certain way to hitting the editing room and being edited completely differently. Yeah, he wouldn't you know? let that happen. Yeah, that's amazing. Because yeah. I also feel like this feels like a bit like a play. Like yeah. it could be staged as a play. There's not there like everything that happens is contained in these different rooms and stuff. Um. So I definitely I, I got this feeling of like the the movie makes draws you in and makes you really want to like focus on what's going on in every scene, trying not to miss stuff. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I think it's it's definitely a good film. I just don't think it's as political, or it, it's not exactly what we're looking for. I guess when you come when we're talking about political movies, but I'm glad that they picked it because uh, I'm glad I got to see it. I know some people said they didn't like it, you know, on mm -hmm. the group, but I, was, I enjoyed uh, it. What was the runner-up? Uh, Frost Nixon, which... Uh, oh, that was so good. Yeah, it is good. That's a good one. Um, 
I got a little a little bit of Frost Nixon coming up in the end clips, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely more more the style. But I'm still glad that I got to see this movie because, like I said, I already saw Frost Nixon, so that would have been a you know it would have been interesting to 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 you know look at a movie I've already seen. Mm. But I, I like kind of coming in with the movies and not not knowing what I'm up against. And this is actually the only one this week I hadn't seen because I'd already seen Milk as well so you did yep i didn't know that i wouldn't have picked it oh uh, that's because oh in the last episode i said we were taking away the stipulation for us this week so. yeah yeah yeah. Well, in general yeah, yeah. We were doing, but I, I i still was gonna try yeah oh, yeah because yeah, yeah. it's more fun to do that way exactly. but sometimes it's like you want to win you get the best of the best <laughs> yeah exactly and i thought milk was up there I, right. I didn't i wish i thought of frost nixon because that's one that i probably would have considered yeah it's a good movie. They're, I think they're all good movies. I did talk a lot of shit about Milk, but I still enjoyed it. I yeah. I couldn't tell you which one I enjoyed the most. I think they're all basically about the same enjoyment level. I enjoyed them all pretty much. I'll say equally with the ranking stuff. None of these movies, if I were to do a nine, like a ten out of kind of whatever, I would say they all are nine something. That's how I feel. Yeah. I think you looking at me like you'll give Milk like a seven point nine or like an eight point. Yeah, maybe. It's a good movie. Well, we'll see about that when we come back for the verdicts, I guess. Yeah, I've been I've been literally drinking so many Dr. Peppers. I get a piss again. This is the third time. Me too. All right, I'll I'll meet you back here. Even though we're going to the same place. This was the story of Howard Beale. The first known instance of a man who was killed because he had lousy ratings. By police spokesman, says the How much time we got? Yesterday, for further consultations with his government, he returned to the Vienna. This is Ed Fletcher in Vienna. Take two, Q Howard. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. And there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. All right. Welcome back. And we are here at the verdict. All right, so just going to jump right into it. My scores for this go as follows. Number two tonight is Network. I'll probably give that like about a 90. Uh, number three is Milk. 
Yeah, I see you over there. You're leading back like, I see you. I see what you did. I see what you did. Yeah. Hey, I haven't voted for myself in a while, so I figured I might as well this time because <laughs> I love this movie. I'd say Mil- Milk is like about 85 for me. Um, and that's me taking out my hatred of biops. If I was going to vote, if I was going to allow myself to play into my own uh, hype, then I would give it like a 55, but that's just unfair. Cause the movie's way better than that. I just hate biops. Like, so I can't, I'm, I'm not a good person to ask if it's a good movie. Sean Penn is fantastic, but my, my favorite movie is this. I write number uh, 99, not quite a hundred, just about, it's not like the most uh, accessible of Kubrick's films. That's probably the shining. Um, but I think it's like close to, the most accessible. So yeah, that's my pick. Number one, Dr. Strangelove. What about you, Russell? All right. So number two is milk. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Uh, not to offend you. <laughs> but number three is Dr. Strangelove. And I would say number one is network. Wow. So we got, which is, I know, I know that I, I said it's not a political movie. It's just, it, it's the best movie out of those three. Okay. I just genuinely think it's a really insanely good movie. And maybe it's because I, I took a way deeper dive into it after. Cause I was kind yeah. of borderline obsessed with it when it was over. I was like, I gotta, I gotta read more <laughs> about this. The writer just blew my mind. The director blew yeah. my mind. All the actors. Yeah. I really want to check out that blew my mind. I really want to check out that book. Every that you mentioned single character. Everybody said yes. Everybody was the first asked yeah. person because they knew the combination. Yeah, I'm of pretty sure was Peter cute. Finch read one scene or something and was like, well, yep. Well, that's what I was going to get at. So he's the only one where they didn't have somebody in mind. Right. They couldn't think of it. And one of the agents was like, I know a guy, but they were like, oh, yeah, but is he good? And they were like, he's, he's good, but he's Australian. Yep. yep. And so it, it turned into like, well... I don't know. <laughs> we don't want we they they had a good track record of their first pick is and that's a good thing. They didn't right. want to jinx it, so they reached out to him and they asked him, "Can you do a, an American journalist?" Because they they questioned whether or not he could. And he goes, "Send me tapes. Send me tapes of of your favorite American journalists, like uh, yeah. Walter Cronkite, yep. who was mentioned in the movie at one point, and um, <clears throat> as but when they were all together on CBS, and um." says uh give me two weeks and i'll send a tape back and he sent a tape back and he was it was the speech about bullshit yep, yep. and they were like yeah he's our guy like, yeah, immediately they were like, awesome. yes this is awesome he said he couldn't he couldn't do an american all right and uh, he did it fine i didn't know at yeah. all until i looked it up after that's why also, he needs two weeks. He's like, yeah. give me two weeks i'll watch these guys obsessively i also like to add uh that movie also has another uh my movie's better heavy hitter, Lance Henriksen showing up again mm-hmm. from Near Dark and uh, uh, Dead Man. Lance Henriksen, this is one of his first movie roles. He played a reporter in a scene for about maybe 30 seconds. Um, and I could not believe it was him. So that's cool. I also think uh, Network probably, ta- it takes a lot of, um, not maybe not takes, but it, it's very connected to Dr. Strangelove. So I definitely feel like that's why those two are my favorites. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm, you know, I personally like Strangelove more, but it's only by a little tiny bit. I, I put them up, you know, this is definitely a movie I would recommend. Um, 
like highly to people. I already have to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Strange love not as much. So do you have a, a coin? Uh, I do. There's a bowl of coins right here. They're close to you. Uh, I flipped last time. Move my uh, mic here. You flip it and let it land where it lands. All right. What we got? We got a uh, we got a nickel. All right. So I'm flipping on behalf of the audience. So are you gonna call it in the air? Yeah. All right. Ready? Yeah. Tails. And it looks like it is. And the listeners win. Movie of the week with a coin toss. Yeah, you guys won. I won the last coin toss anyway, which was what the second episode, I think. Um, it was dystopia, so no, it was the third episode, but still. All right, so network is the winner. I was trying to nudge it closer at the end there, what I was saying mm-hmm. anyway. So hey, yeah, uh, network, you guys win. Lucky you. So. Uh, I guess this is the point of the show where we wrap it up. What, uh, had any idea what we're going to do next week? I think it's my pick. I think so, yeah. Well, since we already did a Christmas episode, I'm going to skip Christmas because I was thinking about doing one of those, but we didn't get it out in time. Just, you know, the holidays and everything is crazy. Um, so I was thinking, what if, since now we're over 10 episodes, what if we uh, did, did a, a, an episode number two? Oh, a second time around. Yeah, and why don't we just start with uh, the one that we started it all with, Dreams of Madness 2. Yeah. It was actually, because we mentioned it earlier tonight, too. So, Dreams of Madness Part 2. Yeah, so your movies that are about dreamlike worlds or people going insane or people getting lost in dreams that aren't Take Shelter, uh, Jacob's Ladder, or Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Because we already covered those. Or Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko or Donnie Darko. Darko. Yeah, because we don't want to cover that. I, I'm i banning it from the episode. Cause I, <laughs> That's not true. We can't do that. <laughs> if the listeners want Donnie Darko, we'll watch Donnie Darko. Just please don't make us do it. So, that's it for this week, for this episode of My Movies Better. Remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us on Facebook, vote for the movies, follow us, join the group, Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, all over the place. Email us at mymoviesbetter at gmail.com. Correct. Any questions or concerns? Yeah. And uh, ideas. Yeah. Compliments. Without further ado. If you have compliments, do it on the five star reviews on iTunes. Hell yeah. Yes. Please, please give us a five star review. We've got like eight of them now. So some people have and we think. But nobody's writing. If if you write the review, I don't know if they don't win a copy. Yeah. Of Miami Connection, right? Yeah. Is that what it was? That still stands. That offer still stands. So yeah. Keep writing those reviews, and I don't know if they don't show up until you have enough. So okay. review. You can also review us on Facebook, I believe. I think you can recommend us. I don't think you can do like a review because we're not oh. a company. But you can go on our Facebook page and recommend us. That that helps too. So and you make it into the contest that way. So beautiful. Yeah. All right, so that's all for this week. Join us next time for more My Movies Better. Thanks for listening.
1987, Mets, Phillies, were enjoying a beautiful afternoon in the right field stands when a crucial Hernandez error opens the door to a five-run Phillies ninth, cost the Mets the game. Our day was ruined. <laughs> there was a lot of people, you know, they're waiting by the players' parking lot. Now, we're coming down the ramp. Newman was in front of me. Hernandez was coming toward us. As he passes us, Newman turns and says, Nice game, pretty boy. Hernandez continued past us up the ramp. Then, a second later, something happened that changed us in a very deep and profound way from that day forward. He wasn't. He spit on us. He screamed out, I'm in! Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. I turned, and the spit ricocheted off him, and it hit me. Wow. What a story. Unfortunately, the immutable laws of physics contradict the whole premise of your account. Allow me to reconstruct this, if I may, for Miss Bennis, as I've heard this story a number of times. Newman, Kramer, if you'll indulge me. According to your story, Hernandez passes you and starts walking up the ramp. Mm -hmm. Then you say you were struck on the right temple. Back and to the left. The spit then proceeds to ricochet off the temple, striking Newman. Back and to the left. Between the third and the fourth rib. The spit then came off the rib, made a right turn, hitting Newman in the right rib, causing him to drop his baseball cap. The spit then splashed off the wrist, pauses in midair, mind you. Makes a left turn and lands on Newman's left thigh. That is one magic loogie. I have participated in all these interviews without a single note in front of me. Well, it is your life, Mr. President. Now, you've always maintained that you knew nothing about any of this until March 21st. Oh. But in February, your personal lawyer came to Washington to start the raising of $219,000 of hush money to be paid to the burglars. Now, do you seriously expect us to... Mother! Yes, Mother. I know what I've done. Well, it was being delivered on the tops of phone booths with aliases, and at airports by people with gloves on. That's not normally the way lawyers' fees are done. Oh, Mother. I did not elect myself. They elected me not once, not twice, but all my goddamn life. And they would do it again, too, if they had the chance. Oh, sure. They said they didn't trust me. They said, let Dick Nixon do it, and I did it. They said they wouldn't buy a used car for me, but they gave me the biggest vote in American history. Fuck em! Fuck em! Fuck em! Fuck em! Fuck em! Fuck em! Bless you. You know, the guy in the booth who's talking to you on a tiny little earphone, he's afraid the guy's at network. You're gonna tell him he's through. Let's the guy keep talking like I'm talking to you. Because the corporation's got the networks and they get to say who gets to talk about the country and who's crazy today. I would cut to a commercial if you still want this job. Because you may not be back tomorrow with this corporate mob. Cut to a commercial. Okay, flush him. Cut the commercial. Cut the commercial. Okay, okay, I got a simple question that I'd like to ask. This network pays you for performing your task. How come they got the airwaves? They're the people's, aren't they? Wouldn't they be worth 70 billion to the public today if some money-grubbing Congress didn't give them away for big campaign money? It's hopeless, you see. 
if you run it from office without no TV. If you don't get big money, you get a defeat. Corporations and broadcasters make you dead meat. You've been taught in this country that speech that is free. But free do not get you no spots on TV. If you want to have senators not on the take, then give them free airtime. They won't have to fake. And now, a word from the president. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Getting voted into the White House. We can, Mr. Burns. The rest is up to you. Oh, don't worry. By the time this paid political announcement is done, every Johnny lunch pail in this whole stupid state will be eating out of my hand. Oh, hello, friends. I'm Montgomery Burns, your next governor. And I'm here to talk to you about my little friend here, Blinky. Many of you consider him to be a hideous genetic mutation. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. But don't take my word for it. Let's ask an actor portraying Charles Darwin what he thinks. Hello, Mr. Burns. Oh, hello, Charles. Uh, be a good fellow and tell our viewers about your theory of natural selection. Glad to, Mr. Burns. You see, every so often Mother Nature changes her animals, giving them bigger teeth, sharper claws, longer legs, or, in this case, a third eye. And if these variations turn out to be an improvement, the new animals thrive and multiply and spread across the face of the earth. So you're saying this fish might have an advantage over other fish. It may, in fact, be a kind of super fish. I wouldn't mind having a third eye, would you? <laughs> no. You see, friends, if our anti-nuclear naysayers and choose-up siders were to come upon an elephant frolicking in the waters next to our nuclear power plant, they'd probably blame his ridiculous nose on the nuclear boogeyman. The truth is, this fish is a miracle of nature, with a taste that can't be beat. Mm -mm. So, to summarize, say what you want about me. I can take the slings and arrows, but stop slandering poor defenseless Blinky. Good night, and God bless. Only a moron wouldn't cast his boat for mercy.